Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. And if you need a Bible, uh, we've been able to put some Bibles in some pews. They might not all have one, but if you need a Bible, you might be able to find one in front of you. Um, We'll get some more. Romans chapter 15 is where we are at today. And uh, as you turn there, um, I just want to also point out a couple guests. So we have uh, Mitchell and Charvel's family with us today. Thank you for being here, McGraw family. Good to have you all. uh, They're wearing a a shirt. I don't know what the shirt says, but it's fancy. And um, then also we've got a team from Grace Baptist Church. Uh, If you guys could just stand really quick. Uh, They're here to help us this week with our camp. Thank you for being with us. Romans chapter 15. We're looking at just a few verses today, verse 30 through verse 33. Please stand for the word of God as I read it. Romans 15, 30 through 33. And it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning on these verses, on the topic, take it to the Lord in prayer. Somebody say, take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we do ask that you would help us today as we study your word. I pray that you would help me as I communicate, that I would communicate your truth, not merely my ideas, that you would open the hearts of your people that we might be shaped and fashioned according to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Take it to the Lord in prayer. My son Chapman, his birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Chapman. He is now a six-year-old. And participating in church like a six-year-old, right? I was looking at some old uh, uh, memories, and I found a prayer that I had written down that Chapman prayed when he was two years old. It was when he started praying regularly before bed. And so I would lay him down and get him tucked in. He's in his like little onesie thing and like little deal, and, and I would pray, and then he would pray. And I wrote down his prayer one night at two years old, and it went like this. Mommy sleep good, Nyanya sleep good, that's what he called his aunt Charlene. Angelo sleep good, Mark sleep good, Mark was living us with us at the time. JD sleep good, EE sleep good. Had he sleep good? 
And then he had a hearty amen. A few months later, I wrote down how his prayer had atrophied. We would still go through the routine, and I would pray, and then I would say, do you want to pray? And he would say, yes, and he would pray, and this was, this was his prayer two months later. Amen. <laughs> Look, if we are not careful, we too will atrophy in our prayers. We will make some noise followed by an amen and check prayer off the box for the night. We will be tempted to reduce prayer to pharisaical motions, which seek not love for God, or to commune with God, or to make requests of God, real requests of God, but rather we will just go, amen. Now for the Apostle Paul, as we get into this last part of the letter, what we see is that Paul is a man of prayer. The Apostle Paul believes that God is a God who holds the future in His hands. Though the future is an unknown mystery to Paul, he knows that God holds the future. Though Paul is weak, he knows that Christ is strong. Though Paul's present is problematic, he knows that the God that he serves is providential. Though his enemies are everywhere, Paul knows that his God is a transcendent God who is greater than his greatest enemies, who has made himself known to Paul and to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's come to us in Christ, and in Christ he has invited us to boldly approach the throne of grace. The God of all power, the God over all, has invited us to come to Him in prayer. You know, some say, well, since God is in control, why pray? Whereas others say, well, no, I'm in control. So if I'm in control, and if I'm the one that does things, then why pray? The problem with both is they both get the character of God wrong, and they both get prayer wrong. You see, God is an all-powerful God who holds the future in His hands. Paul does not pray to a God that is out of control. An out-of-control God is not a God worth praying to. God is in control, yes. And... God is an all-loving God who has good purposes for us. And check this out. God has ordained prayer as the very means through which, through which His purposes for your life will be actualized. Meaning He accomplishes what He sets out through the means of prayer. As an example, it is God who saves. Amen? Yet God doesn't just simply save someone without ever hearing the gospel, does He? But rather, God has sent us, His missionaries, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news, to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. 
Meaning God will accomplish His purposes, yet the means through which He will accomplish the purposes that He has set out to accomplish are the people of God faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that applies to prayer as well. Yes, God will accomplish His purposes, yet the means through which His purposes will be accomplished is this, you must pray. You must pray. Now, secondly, not only does prayer accomplish things, prayer changes us as well. Martin Luther once said, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Yet some Christians neglect prayer day after day after day after day. And we wonder why we struggle in our faith. We wonder why we struggle in our love for others. We wonder why we struggle in our love for God. Thomas Watson said once, he he reflected on prayer and the cross of Christ, and he said, Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Why do we struggle to to pray? I'm just going to assume we do. Why do we struggle to pray? Well, for some, prayer is just not a priority. For some, Talking to people feels like a better, more effective way to deal with their problems. And prayer is just not a priority. For others, prayer is too hard. You know, you get, you get bored. Your mind starts to drift. It's too hard. For some, they don't feel like prayer is effective. They've prayed and God hasn't seemed to answer the prayers, at least in the way that they had been praying. And so why pray? And as a result, prayerlessness becomes like a plague in a church where we begin to rely on ourselves. And not just ourselves, we rely on others to do for us what only God can do through prayer. And we are wishing and we are worrying and we have no power. And as a result, the future realities which remain unknown plague us as well with anxiety, worry. The present realities which are overwhelming are truly overwhelming. We worry about people and places and provision, how people will perceive us, how our plans will proceed. This morning, I want to battle prayerlessness, and I want us to walk out of here a praying body. I want to draw out five lessons on prayer from these verses as Paul asks for prayer and also offers a prayer. What do we learn about prayer? And these are not just simply five abstract, disconnected lessons, but rather I hope to show you how these lessons build on each other. And how if we get these five things, how we can actually change our prayer life and be more effective and more faithful as prayer warriors. First lesson is this. Prayer is a priority. 
For Paul, prayer is, I shouldn't just say a priority, prayer is priority. Put a, put a dash through the A. Prayer is priority. Look at verse 30. The apostle says, I appeal to you, brothers. Everybody say appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word appeal is not just like a throwaway word like, you know, a request. Like, hey, if you think of it, you know, pray for me. No, that's not what Paul was saying. The word appeal is a strong word there. It means to plead. It's a, it's a begging kind of word. He's pleading with the people for their prayers. He reinforces his appeal in verse 30 with the grounding. He says, I appeal to you for your prayers. I'm pleading with you to please pray for me. And let me tell you why. Let me ground it. What am I grounding in it? Is? He says, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just by my own sense of authority or because of my particular needs, I'm pleading with you to pray by our Lord Jesus Christ on the foundation of everything that Paul has written in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 15. That we are sinners in Romans chapter 1. We are rebels against God. And Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, and we are in Christ, and all of the wonderful doctrines that we have been delighting in, in the book of Romans, Paul is taking all of that, and he's saying, I'm standing on Jesus Christ, fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and based on that grounding, I'm asking you to pray for me. And then he says, and, second grounding, is by the love of the Holy Spirit, this isn't just our love for the Holy Spirit, but rather this is the love that the Holy Spirit has put in us as the Holy Spirit has moved into our hearts. He's assuming that there is, if you are a Christian, there is love in you for the brethren by the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, we can stifle the love of the Holy Spirit in our life. But Paul is believing that that is there because they're Christians. And he's saying, by the love that you have for me and for the brethren, by the Holy Spirit, on these grounds, I'm pleading with you for prayer. Paul prioritizes prayer. Are you with me? Now think about all of the other things that the Apostle Paul could have prioritized. Like Paul had a rough life. Paul had it harder than probably anybody in this room as it relates to the, the, the challenges that he faced on a daily basis. Even as he explains his prayer request, we're reminded of the challenges that he had. In verse 31 he says, "...that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea." and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And it's, he says it so quickly, it's easy to miss how big these problems actually were for Paul. The unbelievers in Judea were wanting to kill him. 
We discover in the book of Acts that there was a plot to murder him that was strategized by the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. Paul had a sense that he was in trouble when he went to Jerusalem. They wanted him dead there. Not to mention every city where Paul went as he's preaching the gospel. Steve Lawson points out all of these, every single time, there's, there, there are these riots and there are these problems that come as a result of the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul had problems. And if Paul sat down with you, you might have been like, Paul, I don't think you should go to Jerusalem. That seems toxic. You need to focus on you. Not to mention, the unbelievers in Jerusalem were not the only problem. He had problems with the believers in Jerusalem. He had, his, his whole message had been twisted, and they had received a twisted version of Paul's ministry, and they were skeptical of Paul's ministry. They were taught, and they were believing that Paul was twisting the law of Moses, and that he was not faithfully preaching the scriptures, and that he was trying to get people to stop all of their ceremonies, and, and they saw Paul as a threat because of gossip and misunderstanding. And so Paul says, hey, pray that you, I get, I, I'm kept safe from the unbelievers, but also pray that the believers there will accept me. Again, if he's talking to one of us, we might have been like, bro, like, just don't go there. Like, if, they don't, if, if, if they're so quick to believe these lies, forget them. You know, Paul doesn't seek out another person just to sit down and talk through his problems with. What Paul seeks out is prayer. Paul says, with all of this that I'm facing, all of these things that could be anxieties for Paul, Paul is pushing that into prayer. And he's saying, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you that you would pray for me. Today in our culture, it's so easy for us to prioritize help from people over help from the Lord in prayer. Talking more to other, others about our problems than we're talking to God about our problems. Focusing on our problems as opposed to taking our problems to the Lord in prayer. Is anybody with me? I've known good people who genuinely love Jesus who are turning to everyone else with their problems, spending hours on the phone or in counseling or this or that. And there's nothing wrong with counseling and mental health. I'm all about that. As a matter of fact, I've been thinking about getting a counselor to talk through some things in my own life right now. My concern, though, is this is when we trade talking to a person. We trade prayer for a human. So, so my concern is this, is, is, is in some of my conversations with people that genuinely love Jesus and feeling the weight of their problems and talking to everybody else, and I'll ask them, how are you praying? And so often it's non-existent. No prayer. 
not even I'm struggling, it's I don't pray. You, you see my concern. Are we a praying people? Are we different from the world in that we're taking our anxieties and worries first and foremost as a priority to the Lord in prayer? Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Somebody say it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Paul doesn't merely ask for help. His most common request in his writings is for prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, you help us by your prayers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, pray for me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, through your prayers. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, pray for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, pray for us. You pick up the theme of what Paul really wants? Pray for me, he says. Pray for us, pray for the work, and I'm praying for you. So the question then that this brings us to is, why is it so hard to pray? Well, let's continue. Look at verse 30 again. And this is my second lesson. Prayer is striving. Somebody say striving. That's the word we're using here. In verse 30, he says, strive together in prayer. Prayer is striving. The Greek word here used is the word, it's a compound word, and it's the word where we, in English, get the word agony from. In the original context, this was a word used for athletics. So if you would imagine a boxer striving in the ring, waiting, blocking punches, waiting for his punch. Or if you imagine a wrestler seeking to pin his opponent, striving, agonizing to get into that position. Or if you think of a basketball team, striving, agonizing toward figuring out the defense and figuring out the weak spot and figuring out the offense so that they might win the game. That's the word that Paul uses for prayer. Look, some things are easy. And these are the things we often turn to. It's easy to watch Netflix. You know, it's easy to scroll Instagram. In some ways, it's easy to just call somebody or text somebody. It's hard. It's hard to pray. R.A. Torrey, one of the great preachers of the past, he was preaching at a Bible conference in St. Louis, and one of the other preachers that was on the stage with him was preaching on the, the rest of faith, resting in Christ, and, and he went on talking about how we must rest in Jesus Christ, and that's very true and amen. But then he overextended himself. As the preacher said, he said, I challenge anybody here to show me a Bible verse where we are told to wrestle in prayer. And R.A. Torrey, who's standing on the stage, he said he, he, he doesn't like to uh, uh, confront one of the fellow speakers, but he said, I couldn't not pick up that challenge. And so he whispered, Romans 15:30, brother, where we are told to wrestle in prayer. That prayer is not something that just comes easy, but prayer is striving. 
So I want to say this. Be encouraged. You're not alone. If you think it's hard to pray, so did Paul. If you think it's hard to pray, Paul, even as he asks the Romans for prayer, assumes that it's going to be hard for them. It's hard for me. Prayer is striving. And so we can be encouraged in that and say, hey, what I'm saying to you is, is look, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. Prayer is hard. Like you are, when you pray, you are entering into an age-old battle. When you pray, we are entering into a war that can only be fought through prayer. We cannot do anything to fight the strategies and the schemes of the devil. We cannot do anything with our hands. We work, we fight through prayer. And because this is an age-old battle, you can expect that it is going to feel like a battle. A battle for your mind. A battle for your words. A battle for your faith. Satan will do everything he can to try to defeat you in this battle. And Paul says, agonize together. Strive together. Keep fighting. Don't stop the battle of prayer. Now, it's a compound word. So he doesn't just say strive, but in, in the Greek, it's two words. Agonize together. Strive together. It's two words that come together as one. It's a compound word. And this actually helps us. How do we get through the agony of prayer? Well, one way, it's not the only way, because you know, Epaphras was a man who Paul says to, in Colossae, he says uh, uh, that Epaphras struggles for them in, in his prayers. So we do this individually, but here in Romans we see that we strive together. There's a togetherness that can help us in the agony of prayer. Let me give you an example. I, my, my wife coaches CrossFit, and as a result, I have a free membership to the CrossFit gym. I haven't worked out for the last, like, three months consistently, so don't judge me. And I know, you know, I'm like the guy who's like, people are like, hey, have you ever thought about working out? I'm like, I've been working out my entire life. <laughs> this is what you get. <laughs> Don't have the genes that you have. All right. Sometimes, because my wife is a, a, a coach at the gym, I'll miss the workout. And she'll say, I'll just do an open gym and open the, open the gym for you, and you can just go work out on your own. Do you know how hard it is? to go into a gym by yourself and to try to do 50 burpees by yourself and then pick up a barbell and do 50 uh, 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 shoulder presses and then 50 air squats and then go for, for a 400-meter run. You know how hard that is to do by yourself? Listen, I can't even work out by myself anymore. The thing about CrossFit, and the reason I like it, I'm, just, I'm not selling CrossFit to you this morning, but the reason I like it is because there's a togetherness. And so when I got Christy over here, she's at the gym as well, and she's doing burpees, like there's something about the agony together that pushes me on so that I can finish the workout. Are you with me? 
And when we are praying together, and by the way, we're going to restart our Sunday evening once a month, uh, first Sunday of the month in August, prayer service, a little announcement there for you, prayer service, first Sunday of the month, when we're praying together, we are, we are helping each other get through the agony of it, through the striving of it. When, when we have a culture of prayer in our church, and we make it a regular to, you know, when, when somebody comes up in conversation who's struggling, and, and you say, well, you know, let's not just talk about this person, let's pray. And you enter into prayer together. You know, or somebody's going through a tough time, they're complaining to you about their challenges at work or their challenges in life. And you don't just listen to them or let it go in one ear and out the other, but we turn it and we say, let's pray. When we have a culture of prayer, we are striving together. And we can go deeper, and we can go longer, and we can fight harder. Amen? Amen. Prayer is priority, prayer is striving, and thirdly, prayer is collaboration. Prayer is collaboration. Look at verse 30 as he continues. He says, strive together, next three words, on my behalf. Paul is saying, I want you to join me in my struggle. How, how do you join me in this? Through prayer. This section of Romans, this chapter, is really a missionary letter in some ways. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 22, we saw Paul's mission to the Gentiles defended as he's preparing to go to uh, Spain. And then in uh, verse 23 through 29, Paul asks for their support as he goes to Spain. And now what Paul is doing in verse 30 through 32 is asking for prayer for missions. When we pray for a missionary, think like Jaden Gadsden, as we pray for him in the Philippines, or Luke Gibbons, as we pray for him in France, we are actually joining in their struggle through prayer. One theologian put it like this, he said, in prayer, there is achieved unity between the will of God and that of man, between human struggling and action and effective divine operation. In prayer, there is fulfilled the fellowship of conflict and destiny between man and man. In prayer, one becomes representative of the other. So there is here opened up the possibility of one standing in the breach for all, and all for one. To pray is to collaborate. To pray is to stand in the gap for another. To pray is to represent another before God. Oh, as an application for this, when you consider your loved one who is struggling, what do you do with that energy? You pray. You represent them before God. You stand in the breach with them. But maybe it's not love, but it's apathy. What do you do with your apathy for another? You join them in their struggle through prayer. Some say, well, I don't love. And that's why I don't pray. But let me remind you of what he says in verse 30. He grounds this in the love of the Spirit. Meaning if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you do love. 
And you need to tell your soul, I love this person even if I don't feel it. A lack of prayer, it may be indicative of a lack of love. However, prayer is not merely the outgrowth of love, but prayer is the remedy for a lack of love. Meaning as you pray for somebody, you grow in love for that somebody. And if you say, well, I don't believe it, let me give you a challenge. Take the membership directory of this church. You can find it. We have an app. You can find a copy of it. Take the membership directory of this church. And every day, pray for the members of this church. Maybe not all at once. Maybe only 10 at a time or 5 at a time. But do that for a whole month and see if your love for the people of God in this church has grown. That's my challenge. And I guarantee you, if the Holy Spirit is alive in your heart, it will. When we pray, we grow in love. We stand between the will of God and man. We, we stand between man's struggle and God's divine purposes in prayer. We join in the conflict of another. One stands in the breach for all. Oh, and how this reminds us of, of Jesus Christ who stood in the breach for all, who represented all in the same way, like Christ. We model Christ as we pray on behalf of others. Number four, prayer is effective. Effective means it produces an effect. It does something. Prayer is effective. Look, look again at the passage here. I want to point out the prayers that are answered in this passage. So first request in verse 31, Paul says, pray that I would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. In Acts chapter 23, we see that that prayer is answered. Paul gets to Jerusalem, and the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem put together a murder plot. His nephew, Paul's nephew, overhears of the strategy to kill Paul. That wasn't coincident. I almost said coinkydink. <laughs> That's my sister coming out of me like 20, 30 years later. That wasn't coincidence. That was an answer to prayer. Paul asks for prayer that the, that the believers would accept him. In Acts chapter 21, what we see is that that prayer is answered. Paul gets there and he meets with the believers in Acts chapter 21 and he explains to them his theology and he explains to them how, you know, basically the, the gossip they heard was wrong and they, they warmly receive him and they're like, I'm so thankful to hear this. Praise God for your work among the Gentiles. An answer to prayer. There's a third request that he gives, which is a so that kind of request. And let me just say this before I show you the answer for this request. When you pray, this is just a helpful tip I'm picking up from the Apostle Paul. When you pray, add a so that in your prayer. Give a God-glorifying reason as to why God should answer the prayer. Not to help God, but to help your prayer. You see, sometimes we're not feeling like God is answering our prayers because, well... Frankly, we're not praying 
very good prayer. We're not, we're not asking good requests. Adding a so that to your prayer, it helps you to shape your request. Is my request a godly request or is it a selfish request? We'll try adding a so that, a purpose statement for that request. For example, I read a story of a young girl who prayed that a mountain would be thrown into the sea. Because, you know, that's what Jesus said. If you, seed of, mustard seed of faith. You can say to this mountain, move over here into the sea and, and it, it'll go. And somebody asked her, they said, why do you want the mountain to go into the ocean? And she said, because I want to see the splash. That's the so that. Well, not a very good request. So Paul adds a so that kind of request. And, and, and that is this, and we see this answered as well. Paul says, so that I might come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul prayed, his requests are that I would be accepted by believers, answered. He says, pray that I would be delivered from the unbelievers, answered. And he prays so that I might come to you with joy and be refreshed. Now, this prayer request wasn't answered the way Paul probably thought. By the time he got to Rome, it was in chains. Yet, in Acts chapter 28, we see that when Paul gets to Rome in verse 15, he thanked God and he was encouraged. Meaning, even though he was in chains, the Lord answered in the affirmative this request. You have not because you ask not, James says. Do you understand that James only says that because there are things that you don't have that you would have if you asked? Like, just do the logic. You have not because you ask not. If prayer was not effective, Paul would not ask for prayer. He would not ask for these requests to be fulfilled. If God was just sitting on his hands saying, I don't care. There are seasons of my life where everything I pray for is answered. I'm telling you, this is just a word of testimony. Not because I'm a good prayer, but because God is a good God. And I will literally be in my devotional time every morning, and I keep my journal, and I write down prayer requests, and it's just answered over and over and over. I wanted to bring my journal this morning, but I couldn't find it, because I have requests in that journal that God would give us a building, particularly this building, when there was no way forward, and we didn't think we were going to get it. Jaden, I don't know where Eden went. How many times did I drive by here and I said, Lord, give us that building? Every day. Yeah, like every time I drove past here, I'd say, God, give us that building. Amen. This is an answer to prayer. In God's timing, he answered that prayer. Last week, we prayed for Marla's grandson to come out of a coma, and this week he came out of a coma. (laughs) 
we, we, we see God answering prayer all the time. We often fail to give Him glory. We often fail to recognize that that's a direct answer to prayer. We chalk it up to fate. We say, oh, that was luck. Oh, that was just my, my effort and my, my own work. No, it was God's answer to your prayer. And don't forget it. <laughs> Write it down and give Him the glory. Prayer is effective. And last but not least, I'm almost done. Number five, fifth lesson, prayer is transformative. Prayer is transformative, meaning it changes me. Why pray? Because prayer changes us. Verse 33, Paul turns, and now he prays for the Romans. And he says, may the God of peace... Let me say that again. May the God of peace... May the God of peace, turn to your neighbor and say, God is the God of peace. This means that God is the author of peace. He is the source of peace. He is the giver of peace. He is the place of peace. And he is the goal of peace. Meaning there is no peace outside of God. There is no man or woman that can bring you the peace that only God can bring you. There is no program that can bring you the peace that God can bring you. There is no man-made wisdom and no man-made strategy that can compete with the peace of God. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, he also uses this term, the God of peace or the peace of God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, and it really ties well with this passage. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Where do we go with our anxieties, biblically? What do we do with our worries? Where do we lean? What he says is, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, here's what we do with them, by prayer and supplication, that means making requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it comes with a promise. Many of you know that first verse, and you disconnect it from the second verse, verse 7, which is the promise. Here's the promise. He says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, what I'm often concerned about is how is my mind going to handle this? How is my heart going to get through this? And what he says is, is when we are a praying person and we are bringing with thanksgiving our supplications to God, making our requests known to God, the peace of God will fall upon us and will guard our hearts and our minds. I want to close with a story from Jesus' own life. Jesus was on a boat with his disciples, and the sea was known for its massive monster storms that would come out of nowhere. And in the middle of their little boat ride, a storm appears. 
And if you know the story, Jesus is fast asleep. He's sleeping. His disciples, on the other hand, are freaking out and they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us, we will drown. And Jesus wakes up and he simply says, why are you afraid? Looks at the storm, peace, be still. My peace, the Lord says, I give you. Meaning the very peace that kept Jesus asleep in the midst of the storm is a peace that is yours through prayer in Christ Jesus. He gives us His peace. The God of peace brings us peace. The peace of Christ was with Jesus as he went into the garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do in the garden? He prayed. He prayed. He was going through anguish. And by the way, it was a struggling kind of prayer. He was striving in his prayers to the point of blood dripping from the sweat glands on his brow. But there he found peace, the peace of the Father that was the peace of Christ. Jesus always had peace. He was never without peace because Jesus is the God of peace. As Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, God the Father guarded His heart and mind. As Jesus hung on the cross, what was He doing? Think about His last words. So many of them give evidence to the fact that what Jesus was doing was He was praying the Psalms. He was in prayer, in communion with God, and in peace, even in his moment of greatest suffering. In prayer, we bring our anxieties to God. We wake up and the worries of the day come at us and we shove them back to God in prayer. And God, as a result, gives us the very peace that allowed Jesus to sleep on the boat. Steve Lawson, in his study on Romans, explains the peace of God in this way. He says, peace is not the absence of tribulation. Meaning it's not the absence of a storm. Peace is the presence of inner calm, tranquility, and stillness of heart in the midst of the raging storms of life. He may not remove the storm, but He will add the peace. Oh, the storm may continue to rage, church, but He will give His peace. And as the storm rages, rest with Christ. Rest with Christ in prayer. Run to God in prayer. Rest with Jesus in the boat. And He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. It's the kind of peace that the world looks at and they say, that doesn't make any sense. You have too many storms in your life to have this kind of peace. But it's because they don't know your Savior. Amen. Because our Savior is the God of peace. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? 
We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He closes with an amen. Amen. You know, amen, it's a Hebrew word, which means, which means to put a stake in it. Amen is a word which means to take a hammer and a nail and to pound a message to a wall. That's what amen means. And so Paul ends his prayer with a hearty amen, meaning this message is a message I agree with. This statement is a statement that I can pound my nail into. And when we pray to God, we make our request known to Him. We give God all the thanksgiving that is in our hearts as we pray and as we make our request known. We know that God will give us the peace and we end it with a hearty amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for prayer. I thank You for Paul and his example of asking for prayer, pleading for prayer, and also his praying for the Roman Christians. God, I pray that we would be a people individually and together as a church, a people that are known by prayer. May we be known more by our prayer life than by our strategies. More than being known as a church with a really nice sanctuary. May we be known as a church that prays for our good and for your glory. We pray it's in Jesus' name. Amen.